recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Thank you for listening. It is Saturday, October 8th, 2011. Tonight I'm I'm going to present a paper with, with some variations and perhaps some embellishments that I wrote two years ago. The New Weimar Republic and a Very Brief and Partial History of Modern Christendom. It, it was wrote, it, it's, it, it addresses too wide a topic to be fairly addressed in, um, in, in seven pages. But I wrote it anyway, trying to draw a parallel between what happened in, in 1920s Germany and what's going on today. And, and there definitely are parallels, absolute parallels. The Jews were in control of Germany in the 1920s. What well, we have much evidence of that, not only in the speeches of, of prominent national socialists, such as Hitler and Goebbels, speeches that were made public and given publicly, but also in the works of people like Kurt Wiebe in his, his booklet, Germany and a Jewish Problem. If somebody reads that book, and erased all of the references to Germany and replaced them with references to the United States, New York, California, and had experienced the 60s in America, that, then the same thing. Yeah, you would see that it was the same problem all over again. The denigration of our culture, the communist protests in the streets, the Bolshevik attitude of the left, the rampant drug use and pornography brought to us courtesy of the Jewish people. And it's the same thing all over again. And and now this time for a time they seem to have prevailed. Before I began, and and I'll take calls once the paper is presented, I I would be amenable to taking calls. I I would hope that people called in and commented or or discussed things further. I mean, uh, uh, there, there are very well many things I could miss, right? Before I begin, I would like to say a few words about the state of the so-called Christian right today. And, and these are small tremors, but there, there are many murmurings which I hear from people pretending to be patriots, attacking the founders of the American Republic and the Constitution which, I left, which they left us. And as far as I'm concerned, clowns and Satan-denying Jew lovers, such as Ted Wieland, are at the vanguard of these murmurings. The end game to all of these attacks on our foundations, on the foundations of this, of this country, nation, I should say, is to make the Christian right amenable to the idea of a new constitutional convention. That's what they're doing. They are subverting the foundations that the the idea and the concepts of the foundations of this nation in the minds of the Christian right so that they can agitate a new constitutional convention. And Ted Wheeland is one of the primary proponents of this bullshit. The end game to all of these attacks on the foundation of our nation is to make the Christian right surrender their rights. Mark my words, if this happens, if we have a new constitutional convention in this nation, and because we have not properly defended our rights, which are spelled out in the constitution that we have, we will lose 
any rights that we can claim to have now. That is right. With the new constitutional convention, we will lose our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. It won't take a Supreme Court decision. I guarantee it. And if we lose our right to bear arms, we will lose our freedom of speech. There is no doubt. In Europe, the guns went first, and now they have no freedom of speech. We, might, we, we stupid Americans might perceive Europe as being among the Western democracies, but they have no freedom of speech over there. They can't speak out like we still can here. And we better defend the rights that we have and not worry about a new constitutional convention because we will lose everything. We will have a constitution that looks just like that in the, Euro- in, in, in the European Union, and when you think your, gov- your, your rights come from your government, your government has the right to take your rights away. There's a lot of things about our Constitution that even clowns like Ted Wheeland don't understand. So concerning those who keep attacking the founders in the Constitution, even though it is an imperfect document, and the founders, well, not all of them were perfect people. Some of them were crooks. But those people who keep on attacking these Christian documents produced by Christians so that we could live in a Christian republic, that was their original intent. It can be proven. We must know them by their fruits. They are nothing but shills for the Antichrist Jews who are trying to drive the final daggers into the heart of this once great nation. Ted Wheeland is their choir boy. The new Weimar Republic and a very brief and partial history of modern Christendom. Before the dawn of the 20th century, Jewish bankers and Jewish merchants had long been using their pocketbook influence to work their way into a position where they began marrying into the aristocratic families of Germany. Adolf Hitler wrote about this in my Kampf. This situation is inevitable where you have a minority that works its way into a host population and where that minority also happens to have the ability to create its own paper money, therefore having practically unlimited funds with which to corrupt the host society, the average Christian at one time had no use at all for paper money, and for money at all, and especially paper money. Trade was conducted in barter, and taxes were paid in kind. You brought two cows to the Lord of the Manor, and that was your payment of your increase, right? If you had eight cows and had to pay a 25% tax, you brought them two cows. If you had 12 chickens and had to pay a tax on them, you brought them three chickens. That was his payment. Of course, the money-grubbing English kings hated that. For many centuries in medieval Europe, usury was an abomination, since it is antithetical to Christianity. And so the Jews, who have always been usurers, naturally became the bankers to European nobility, profiting immensely in those circumstances by pandering to the desires of the weak. The same situation long existed in Britain also, since that, in that nation, Jewish families had controlled the economy from the founding of the so-called Bank of England in the 17th century. Before the First World War, and and let me say that the Jews of Holland had financed Cromwell, and Cromwell allowed the Jews back into England. 
from which they had been barred for over 300 years. Before the First World War, much of the British aristocracy was actually Jewish or, as a result of intermarriage, had Jewish cousins or in-laws. In fact, a Jew would become the Prime Minister of Great Britain even long before the First World War. I speak of Benjamin Disraeli. Much of the British aristocracy was actually Jewish or as a result of intermarriage, that, that they, they, they had more interest in the Jews than they had in their Christian countrymen. To the honest inquirer of history, it is quite clear that by the dawn of the 20th century, Europe was ruled by an aristocracy permeated by and beholden to the Jews and increasingly hostile to Christianity because Jews are naturally hostile to Christianity. Jews are also hostile to anyone else who is not a Jew, as their Talmud plainly and directly states in so many places. It is quite clear that once they acquire control of a nation's ruling classes, having no allegiance or kinship with the population of the nation itself, they only use that control in order to further increase their own advantage, even to the extent of intermarrying with them, to the Jew, like to all aliens, a white wife is a trophy, a mark of conquest, and not a partner. Such was also the situation in first century Judea, where the Edomites, today's Jews, had infiltrated and taken over that government and society by 40 BC, the time of Herod, the so-called Great. The Jews loved to call him Herod the Great. The man was a murderer. He was a murderer of his own children. He murdered at least three of his own children that I could remember. And his own wife. The Jewish campaign against the German people discreetly began long before the First World War. In the propaganda that circulated throughout intellectual circles in Britain, especially in British identity, and which was designed to alienate two kindred peoples from one another, the English Saxons and the German Saxons. This is because, under the Kaiser, and there's dispute about this, the Jews did not have a Jewish-owned central bank, and therefore did not have complete control of the German economy, but they certainly wanted it. The Reichs, there were Jewish banks in Germany, but the Reichsbank issued gold-backed currency, and Germany had a large supply of its own gold. The same situation existed in Russia, where Tsar Alexander would not have a Jewish central bank. All of the other so-called reasons for the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia and the destruction of Germany in the First World War are sheer nonsense. The power behind the creation of those wars and the violent takeover of Russia were the Rothschilds and their Jewish kindred. The Bolshevik Revolution was a Jewish conquest of Russia, orchestrated and financed in Lower Manhattan. The Jewish minority in Russia using every other minority that they could incite, and we see that same pattern here the last 50 years, along with every white Russian that they could deceive with their empty talk of egalitarianism and social justice, they were the foot soldiers for the Jewish bankers of New York and London. 
Yet during the First World War, many of Germany's Jews actually did lend their support to the German cause. And German victory was seemingly inevitable in 1917, especially when the Russian front began to collapse and the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia ended that nation's part in the war effort against the Germans. But in 1917, something else happened. Lord Balfour had signed a declaration assuring the Jews a homeland in Palestine if Britain won the war. Of course, Lord Balfour was also a Jew. Lord Balfour was also the receiver of the Russia number one reports, all the reports that came out of Bolshevik Russia discussing the treachery of the Jews, and they were promptly filed. The Ottoman Empire, a vestige of which remains as modern Turkey, controlled Palestine at the time, and the Ottomans were allies of the Germans. It was Jews in Germany who, through their capitalism, controlled much of the country's industrial power. And once the Balfour Declaration was signed, these Jews, along with their lower-class kinsmen, became hostile to the German war effort, becoming more or less a fifth column in German society. Adolf Hitler writes about that too in Mein Kampf. At the same time, Jewish leaders in Germany instigated and organized labor disruptions at the German munitions factories. With all of this, and with the American entry into the war on behalf of the British and the French, Germany's fate was sealed and her defeat was assured, seemingly. Germany never actually lost the war. No battle was fought and lost on German territory. Rather, all sides were spent, and the Americans were really the only combatant who could leverage from a position of strength. When Wilson offered his 14 points for peace and the Kaiser accepted, an armistice was declared. Wilson then allowed German dignity to be unduly violated by the British and French. French arrogance, British perfidy, and American double-crossing treachery forced Germany to lose the peace and Versailles was born. After the First World War was over, and the Kaiser was removed by what more or less amounted to treason, specifically by Prince Max of Baden, I believe, a Republican form of government was instituted in Germany amidst much prolonged political and civil strife mostly by Jews and communists, who were often, who were most often one and the same. Most of the Jews were communists, and most of the communists were Jews. This new government is now referred to as the Weimar Republic, and it lasted until 1933. This Republican government, dominated by the social democratic parties, was actually very socialist in nature and and Marxist socialist at that, and had large factions of communists and communist sympathizers. But it was not itself truly communist. The Weimar Republic was marked by rampant inflation and the cowering of the German people to the extravagant reparations and demilitarization demands resulting from 
losing a war, or rather losing a peace, which Germany did not start. Germany never started that war. Along with those reparations came the loss of much historically German territory, which Germany was forced to cede to the whims of the victors, or the, the, the treacherous parties. The monetary inflation itself was to a great degree the cause of the tremendous reparations burden. The Weimar government also suffered heavily from a failure to reel in the communists and the communist factions of the controlling political parties. The communists stridently attempted to install a government of their own during those years and actually succeeded in doing so by force in Bavaria, at least temporarily, and again in parts of the Ruhr region. These communist uprisings, along with others in Hamburg and in Saxony in the early 1920s, were not put down by the Weimar government. Rather, they were put down by coalitions of patriotic Germans known as the Free Corps and the factions of the military operating independently and in spite of the Weimar government. The Jewish hand in all of this civil discord in Germany could not go unnoticed. Many of the communists in Germany were lower-class Jews, and the great majority of the Jews were communists. Additionally, due to the rampant inflation, it literally did take a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread. The only people who were able to buy either property or goods in Germany were those who could obtain money from outside of the country. In 1914, a German mark was valued at around 25 cents of American money. In 1923, one million German marks were only worth a mere dollar. During this period, many German families were forced to sell everything they had in order to survive. Hence, the upper-class Jews with foreign financial connections were able to buy up much of Germany's material wealth for incredibly low sums. Today, American history books gloat over how American banks helped loan Germany money to rebuild after the war, which is real funny because Germany, no battle, having never lost a battle on her own soil, really didn't have to rebuild after the war. Jewish carpetbaggers abounded consuming the nation like so many maggots consume a cadaver. All classes of Jews in Germany had a feast in the Weimar years, glorying in their perceived victory over the heart of European Christendom, for now they would own it. While all of this transpired, there was an earnest endeavor by the radical communists who had much political influence in the major parties, which were socialists themselves, to stifle all serious political opposition. That's exactly what's going on today. We have a government run by Jews. We have an entire population of white men who can't find jobs. Jews and Negroes seem to be getting all the jobs in government and in academia at all levels. We have a new Weimar Republic. There's no doubt. Adolf 
Adolf Hitler, who was truly a champion of traditional German culture and of Christianity, things which all Jews everywhere despise, was not the only such politician to gain a following in the wake of the Judaization of Germany, where engagements in pornography and substance addiction were rapidly becoming the norm, just like America today, America for the last 40 years. Pornography and substance addiction are hallmarks of Jewish domination over our culture, wherever they appear, wherever Jews appear, and, and wherever those, those things appear. Hitler's eventual success was nothing but a reaction to the Jewish-dominated society of the Weimar Republic. And the fear among Germans of the eventual and total communist domination. This is a fear which, sadly, most Americans are oblivious to today. And we have been led down that same path. We are there now. Certainly the the average German was well aware of the destruction of millions of Christians occurring in the Soviet Union under the Bolshevik Jews and Stalin and Trotsky and, and Lenin before him. And Stalin was himself very likely a Jew by race. I know that that's argued. Stalin, even if he wasn't a Jew, and I believe that he was, he was married to Jews. His children were married to Jews. And he was very much, well, literally in bed with the Jews. But I believe that, yes, his name proves that he was a Jew, or demonstrates at least that he had some Jewish blood in his background. If Stalin wasn't a Jew, he must have been an Arab or of some sort of mixed Middle Eastern race because he certainly isn't totally white by his looks. Yet Adolf Hitler was not the only one who attempted to take Germany back from such Jewish domination. Other nationalist, Christian, and conservative politicians in Germany were beaten down at their own meetings by Marxist thugs. It was commonplace for Marxists in Weimar, Germany, to look for conservative political gatherings and to disrupt them with violence. This happened with regularity, while the government turned a blind eye to the violence perpetrated by the Marxists. But Hitler was one of the only opposing politicians who successfully countered them. I'm going to butcher this name. I'm going to butcher this name. The Sturm Abteilung, or the SA, commonly called the Brown Shirts, were formed out of a need to protect the fledgling party's rights of free speech and assembly from Marxist thugs who wished to reserve that right exclusively for themselves. They act the same way today. Many of the brown shirts came from the ranks of the old Free Corps, the post-war German equivalent to the American idea of a militia movement, where the government refuses to maintain order and uphold the basic rights of the people. The people 
must retain the right to do it themselves. When Hitler finally did gain power, he took the German economy back into the hands of the German people. Germany was a slave to the Rothschild banking houses during the the Depression until Hitler took power. Hitler refused to allow a Jewish-controlled central bank to run the nation, and immediately world Jewry openly declared a war against Germany again in 1933. The rest is history, and it need not be discussed here. The Jews have long used propaganda against Germany and propaganda against the Tsars of Russia in both Great Britain and the United States. Everything believed by the people in respect to both Germany and Russia has been told through a Jewish perspective since Jews have long controlled all of the major media outlets in both nations. Everything that the average person thinks he knows about Germany in the 20th century is a lie. The Jews in Britain and the United States have used their power over the media to perpetrate the greatest hate crimes ever, the extermination of many tens of millions of white Christians in Europe, while at the same time they are falsely accusing white Christians of hate crimes. There was no Holocaust of Jews by Germans, not in the 20th century and not ever. The Holocaust is a huge lie perpetrated by the Jews, perpetuated by the Jewish-controlled media, and promulgated so that the Jews gain the advantage of muzzling all of their critics with a single slur, the slur of being a Nazi or perhaps an anti-Semite. With the same slur, they place an obstacle before any reasonable and scholarly inquiry into the real Hitler and the true reasons for his rise to power and the reasons for Germany's success in the 1930s under Hitler's policies. This success came while the rest of the West was mired in the Great Depression, another device of the Jewish bankers to assist in their accumulation of the wealth of the West and to gain political control of Christendom. It is no accident of language that the word so often translated devil in the English Bibles is actually a Greek word which means false accuser. It only took a few decades for the Jews to affect the takeovers of both Russia and Germany in the early 20th century. Winning the minds of most Americans took much longer, even several decades longer. However, the Jews have long ago also accomplished that. Hidden from the eyes of most Christians, both Jewish capitalism and Jewish Marxism are but two heads on the same beast which seeks to devour all of Christendom and to destroy the white race. Henry Ford knew this, and he wrote about it, but the Jews found a way to silence him. Adolf Hitler knew it too, and he also wrote about it, and the Jews went to great lengths to silence him. The country, this country, has been kept in a constant state of war since the capitalist 
agents use the accidental, and I say that sarcastically, sinking of the USS Maine in Havana Harbor as an imperialist tool. This constant state of war, whether foreign or domestic, keeps the people perpetually distracted and has enabled the Jew to win a cultural battle here. Even today, most people are totally unaware that it ever even happened. Usually that cultural battle against American culture was packaged as a noble, as a noble pursuit. It was packaged as a civil rights movement. It was packaged as a woman's rights movement or a worker's rights movement or a gay rights movement ad nauseum. If one does not think that all of this was a part of the Jewish war against Christendom, one is obviously ignorant of the many declarations of the Jews themselves. For most of the protocols of the learned elders of Zion, while declaimed by Jews as a czarist forgery when they were revealed in the early part of the last century, every element of these writings has been achieved over the past several decades by the Jews and the institutions which they control. The fact that every one of the things described within the protocols have actually come to fruition after a cultural struggle of more than 100 years proves their original authenticity. Henry Ford quoted from them at great length in his book, The International Jew. And that the negative Jewish effect on Western civilization is not perceived by the general public is indeed a real conspiracy. The media just doesn't report it. Because they're part of it. In the protocols under Section 12, Control of the Press, we find an interesting statement. The statement that freedom is the right to do that which the law allows. This one statement betrays the perversity of the Jewish mind. While the Saxon does not generally legislate every facet of life, and especially those many things which are practically unspeakable but nevertheless self-evidently wrong, the Jew will find acceptable any practice or deed which is not expressly forbidden. The Saxons might pass laws that it's illegal, it's immoral, it, it's not lawful to go to, to, to have sexual intercourse with a girl under 18. The Jew, well, he'll find a way to get around that. He'll have sexual intercourse with a boy under 18. <laughs> and the Talmud allows it. He'll have sexual intercourse, he'll have other disgusting forms of sodomy with a girl under 18, and he'll profess that it wasn't sex. We've recently seen Bill Clinton do that. Bill Clinton did that in a public court. There we have the mind of the Jew. If it's not explicitly unlawful, the Jew finds it permissible. If it is ex explicitly unlawful, he'll do it in secret. At the dawn of the civil rights movement, and just before the so-called sexual revolution of the 1960s, the Jew, Allen Ginsberg, wrote a collection of so-called poetry, which was greatly lauded by all of the Jewish media and academia. 
It contains material such as, and I quote, I'm with you, Rockland, where you're where you accuse your doctors of insanity and plot the Hebrew socialist revolution against the fascist national Golgotha. That's something from a pile of trash called Howl. What garbage is praised by Jews as art? To Ginsburg, Christianity, which he calls the national socialist Golgotha, and nationalism are both evil And these are what he is railing against. Allen Ginsberg in the 1950s is telling us through this trash that he writes that there's going to be, I won't call it Hebrew because that's a lie, that there's going to be a Jewish socialist revolution against this nation and academia and the media in the 1950s and 60s, praise this man. Now you know why. They're all Jews, and they're all communists. Of course they praised him. I would expect them to praise him. What I would hope is that white Christians wouldn't buy their bullshit, but of course we did. We still do. We have for how many years now? And they believe it all. To Ginsburg, Christianity and nationalism are both evil. A generation of Jews followed suit. And the Jewish media has praised all of them glowingly ever since. Openly worshipping devils while the average American stares blindly at the television screen, getting his daily dose of entertainment, sucking it all in. While Ginsburg may appeal to the basest sorts in society, This same mentality exists throughout American academia. I'm going to quote something from worldviewradio.com, which I was able to quote on RBN also earlier this week. Barack Obama is destroying our economy on purpose. A pair of radical Columbia University professors by the name of Richard Andrew Cloward and Francis Fox Piven wrote an article in the radical magazine known as The Nation. The article was published on May 2, 1966, and laid out what is now known as the Cloward-Piven strategy. The plan calls for the destruction of capitalism in America by swelling the welfare rolls to the point of collapsing our economy and then implementing socialism by nationalizing many private institutions. Cloward and Piven studied Saul Alinsky just like Hillary Clinton and Obama. I've seen the Cloward-Piven formula cited in many other scholarly economic works. That is where we are today. They've been, the, the left has been pushing us to that point for 40 years now. It should be quite evident why ever since the Great Society speech was given by Lyndon Johnson right around this same time, this nation has sunk deeper and deeper into socialism, which is nothing but a euphemism for Marxism. The Great Society speech was given right around the same time that the Cloward-Piven strategy was released. 
These early statements, I'm talking about 1966, right? And the fact that this nation has obviously followed this path laid out explicitly by so many Jews makes it no coincidence why we have done so. This Jewish war against true liberty and Christendom in America began long before the 1950s. In fact, at the same time that the Jews were using their propaganda in company with staged operations, such as the Lusitania and Pearl Harbor, to incite America into joining the wars of Europe, they were also infiltrating Christian institutions here in order to pervert them. While the profits from usury bought out the department chairs in all of our academic institutions, so that by the 1930s, many of the American universities were already leaning far to the left, they also planned something much more treacherous, and they fully executed that plan. The total corruption of a Christian American theological thinking. Today's evangelical Baptists are the perfect product of this corruption. In 1890, a small-time Dallas pastor started a Bible correspondence course, which gained quite a following and was taken over by the Moody Bible Institute in 1914. This pastor had also been part of a group which sought to revive the much earlier Niagara Conferences of the Pentecostal charismatic Charles Darby. Influenced by the work of men such as Darby and the dispensationalist J.R. Graves, had a tremendous impact on the formulation of this pastor's doctrines. With a few books under his belt and having developed much greater aspirations, he left his Dallas congregation in 1901. This pastor went to New Hampshire, where he purchased a plot of land and planned to build on it, and then on to the big city, New York, where he was admitted to the very exclusive Lotus Club, founded by the Jewish attorney Samuel Untermeyer and others. Untermeyer himself was on the committee which approved this pastor's application. His name was Cyrus Schofield and no earthly door was closed to him from this time forward. Samuel Untermeyer is, of course, the leading Jew in Jewry's declaration of war on Germany in 1933. Students of history may recognize the name of Samuel Untermeyer from elsewhere. It was he who had bribed Woodrow Wilson when Wilson was in a jam over an affair while he was employed at Princeton and not wanting his presidential aspirations destroyed, Untermeyer was more than willing to assist him. So Woodrow Wilson had two terms as president, and the American people got their first Jewish Supreme Court Justice, Louis Brandeis. They also got their Jewish-controlled central bank, the Federal Reserve. They got woman suffrage, a graduated income tax, involvement in the First World War, and many other curses such as prohibition, which allowed the Jews to take over most of the liquor industry and also prevented farmers from producing their own energy. Before Prohibition, America's farms were producing their own alcohol fuel. What a productive time in office Woodrow Wilson had, or at least if one happens to be a Jew and a New York banker, one may think so. 
There is much more to the Schofield story, however. After his reference Bible was published by Oxford University Press in 1909, the false doctrine of dispensationalism caught on in America's churches for good. The Jews, the people of God's curse, became God's chosen people, as if such a thing were possible. It also wasn't long before the oxymoronic term Judeo-Christian and its variants came into the vocabulary. Schofield was a major tool in the effort to Judaize Christianity. Of course, the Jews were its primary proponents, but certainly not in public. Schofield did not develop any of his doctrines on his own. Rather, he borrowed them all from others. He was not a Bible scholar, but a man who borrowed, sometimes reformulated, and often received credit for the work of others, if indeed it simply wasn't handed to him. Yet while he didn't develop his false doctrines alone, he did collect them all into one place, and with a little help from his Jewish friends, he managed to become quite popular. American seminaries would never be the same again. Bullinger's Bible, with his voluminous notes, primarily from the Messorah and the mouths of the rabbis themselves, is also a curse to Christianity. Bullinger himself was a close personal friend of Theodore Herzl, the so-called father of modern Zionism. So it is no coincidence that his Bibles and those of Schofield are lining store shelves even today. The Bullinger and Schofield Bibles, the corruption of American religion, of American Protestantism, they were the best religion that the Jews could buy. At the same time, many other forces were at work helping to bring about the Judaization of America. The Jewish banking families would stop at nothing and could fund almost anything in their attempt to gain world domination. A New York Jew coined the term melting pot and wrote a play to that effect in 1910. The entire idea is an outright lie, but most Americans today believe it and repeat it. That same Jew, Israel Zangwill, helped conceive the idea of Fabian socialism, along with another Jew, Israel Cohen, and George Bernard Shaw, who probably should have been born a Jew, but whom was accidentally Irish, at least apparently. All three of these men were ardent Marxists and strove towards the goal of a communist world. Shaw was a strident critic of Christianity and, of course, was another darling of the Jewish Western media. In 1913, Jews founded both the NAACP and the ADL. Jews were inciting Negroes in the South to rise up against whites, and they continued to incite them to this very day. A long litany of proofs can be supplied to support these statements. By 1952, Jewish rabbis were openly trumpeting the death of the white race and their final victory over Christendom. In 1935, the Communist Party's Workers' Library Publishers issued a pamphlet entitled The Negroes in the Soviet America. It urged the Negroes to rise up, especially in the South, and to form a Soviet state in the American South and apply for admission into the Soviet Union. It contained implicit assurance that the revolt, as it called it, would be supported by all American Reds. 
other words, Jews. This is outright treason. However, in the Roosevelt administration, no Jew would ever be prosecuted for this. And the Jewish-controlled mainstream media would never even point a finger at it. There is much evidence today that the Roosevelt administration was fully aware of, the Al- of Alger Hiss and other communist spies and knew that they were spies. The FBI told them they were spies. But Roosevelt laughed at any of the accusations and warnings concerning them. The wolves have been devouring the sheep for 100 years now. And none of the shepherds raise an objection. War and revolution were not necessary in order for the Jews to conquer Britain. For they have controlled that nation entirely since at least the days of Napoleon. Neither were they necessary in order for them to conquer America. Rather, like the British, the population most often simply went along with whatever they were told. The media, in concert with the government, either silenced or simply ignored all opposition. Those few who opposed could not be easily contained, who could not be easily contained, such as Charles Lindbergh and Henry Ford, were silenced in other more serious ways. Except for the radical Jews, who were not American at all, most Americans never question the things which they were being told. They never questioned their pastors or professors or their political leaders, but just followed along like meek little sheep going to the slaughter. Such is a spirit exactly opposite to that spirit by which the founders had fought and for and formed this nation. Americans never evaluate the sources of their news, their editorials, their movies, or their books. It is only taken for granted that all these things are healthy and legitimate because they bear one commonly known brand name or another. They are all actually lies and have been ever since the Jews took over our media and our entertainment industry in the early 1900s. Today, if one does not fit into the typical Jewish-approved mainstream mode of thinking, but is to the left of the political spectrum, one's crimes are either ignored by the media or upheld as exemplary models of idealistic achievement and rarely openly criticized by the media. However, if one does not fit into the same mold and one is on the political right, then one is branded as a criminal and a demon. Just like the Weimar Republic of the 1920s, Marxists, or often Negro or Ladino street gangs, roam the streets acting like thugs, and the media usually ignores their criminal activity. They can even brag about their criminal activities publicly, and nobody in the public eye seems to notice or mind. Even though they are certainly well known to the ADL and other mostly Jewish organizations. But if a nationalist group or a traditional Christian group tries to meet in peaceful assembly, it is either lambasted by the media, or if it is small enough not to warrant media attention, it is interrupted, sometimes violently, 
by those same Marxist thugs. And the ADL trumpets this activity with glowing satisfaction. In fact, the way that the ADL has announced certain events and announced them with glee, events that the ARA, anti-racist action, a motley collection of Marxist thugs recruited as anti-racist activists from various college campuses, events that the ARA has taken credit for, betrays as a certain fact that the ARA is nothing but a militant tool of the ADL itself. In that manner, the ADL can use violence and criminal activity to interrupt any group which has a, which has a profession contrary to those professions of Judaism. So the ADL uses the ARA as its violent wing. Since I wrote the original version of this article in November of 2009, it has been fully demonstrated by others and admitted publicly that Benai Brith funds the ARA. The ARA is used by the ADL to perform violence against conservative groups when the ADL can't publicly attempt to stop those groups itself. The ARA has even crashed Tea Party rallies, such as one at Kent State in Ohio on May 1st, 2010. The lukewarm Tea Party conservatives are hardly racists. This is proof that the ARA is a Bolshevik group out to crush any and all political opposition to Bolshevism, just as the Bolsheviks did in the 1920s. This is currently happening on a small scale. Soon, and especially when and if some so-called hate bill or other similar legislation is ever enacted, it will get larger. It will even get to the point where no Christian group will be able to meet publicly at all, never mind Christian identity. Without its meetings being punctuated by the Marxist thugs and their janissaries, supported and encouraged by the ADL, it is absolutely obvious to anyone who has eyes to look, never mind see, that non-white racist groups such as La Raza or the Council on American-Islamic Relations or the New Black Panthers are never, ever harassed by the Jews and their front organizations. In fact, blatantly racist La Raza is billed as a civil rights group by the ADL. Now, there are reports that La Raza is even receiving government funding. But only white nationalists and Christians are harassed. The same is true in the mainstream media, which was instrumental in the election of a patently Negro, racist Negro president, while purposely ignoring all of the plainly racist statements which he made in his own books, if he indeed wrote them. To the Jew, it is good to be a racist unless you are white. And only then is racism evil, with perhaps the exception of a handful of openly anti-Jewish Muslim groups. Why isn't the ADL protesting the apartheid and Jewish supremacy in Palestine? Why isn't the ADL protesting 
immigration policy or the lack of ethnic diversity in China or Japan because they are double-minded and not at all pious. In reality, they are little but Jewish hypocrites of the same sort, which Christ himself condemned in Matthew chapter 23. It is no figment of the imagination that these Jews of today are the descendants of the Christ killers. They absolutely are. But the situation is even worse. Now, under the Jewish-run Homeland Security Department, the ADL has practically become a quasi-governmental organization. The ADL provides information and training to Homeland Security and to many other federal, local, and state law enforcement organizations on various religions and religious sects. So we have a Jewish supremacist group, the ADL, that's what they are, which is a part of a secret society, B'nai B'rith, B'nai B'rith is a secret Masonic society. And these are the people we have teaching all of these government agencies about religion. Jews teaching the government about Christianity. Imagine that. During World War II, there was a great sedition trial of American patriots who were outspoken against the communists in the Roosevelt administration. But none of them were guilty of sedition. None of them were ever convicted. They were tied up in court for six or seven years, though. The ADL was behind it. It's a clear matter in the historic records of our nation, which can easily be proven that the ADL set up all of those patriots and had them tried by Jewish prosecutors in the Roosevelt administration, or at least communist prosecutors. Radical Jews tried to promote the so-called Holocaust stories after the First World War, claiming that the Germans killed six million innocent Jews at that time. Of course, back then, even, the, even most Americans had more sense than to believe the Jewish lies. After World War II, there were all sorts of wild stories told all over again, most of them now forgotten in the black hole of the American memory, which easily forgets everything that the Jewish media does not constantly remind them of. In fact, 99.9% .9 of the wild Holocaust tales contrived by Jews, by lying Jews, in the 1940s and 50s are now conveniently forgotten, if not actually denied by the Jews themselves. They realize that most of these stories are easily discredited, regardless of the claims of the supposed eyewitnesses. However, the most reasonable sounding of the Holocaust tales of the post-war era were pounded down the throats of the American and European peoples, and even more vigorously since the 1970s, when Jews like Eli Wiesel and Simon Wiesenthal, and there's no coincidence between the similarity of their names, I'm sure, were made famous by Jewish media and cinema companies. The result of the success of this propaganda, and the propaganda is actually a hate crime of the second greatest magnitude, the murder of Christ being first, the result is now that the Jews have elevated themselves above all criticism. Anyone who dares criticize any Jew for practically anything is immediately branded a Nazi and an anti-Semite. 
Anyone who questions the historical accuracy of any Jewish Holocaust tale is also branded in this manner. And if one is foolish enough to visit Europe or unfortunate enough to have European citizenship, one can be thrown in prison for simply doing so. Additionally, the reasons for Hitler's popularity and Hitler's own policies are never evaluated objectively since anyone who mentions him in any other than negative light is immediately branded and excoriated by the Jews and the media. In that manner, the way in which Hitler rebuilt and rearmed Germany while the rest of the world was in a deep depression without a Jewish central bank or any Jewish loans is never properly studied. If we studied Hitler, we would find a way to economic prosperity and we would be free from the usury of the Jew. That's the only way to occupy Wall Street. We should abandon Wall Street. We should abandon the Federal Reserve. Zionism and the Holocaust religion amount to an attempt to replace the biblical Christian Messiah with the Jews as Messiah, according to the Talmud. In Rome before the time of Constantine, the Jews had special privileges to practice their religion, and Christianity was criminalized. The Jews, having these privileges, used their power and influence to make sure that the Romans persecuted the Christians mercilessly. It is a fact of history attested to by Tertullian and other early Christian writers, such as Minucius Felix, that the Jews were behind all of the Roman persecutions of Christians. The Jews also took advantage of the Arian heresy to drive a wedge between various Christian factions and cause them to attack each other. Today, mostly because Christians give heed to outfits like the ADL, the Judeo-Christian propaganda of Bullinger and Schofield and all of their followers, and all of the Holocaust propaganda, the Jews are again garnering for themselves a special distinction of privilege above all other citizens, which they had in Rome. And Christians are again being persecuted. This is the new Weimar Republic. And even worse, this is pagan Rome all over again. Constantine cannot deliver us from it, and neither can Hitler. Only Christ himself can deliver us from it, and surely he will. We have to confront society concerning its devils. Ernst, um, Ernst Sundel recently put out a video I have it posted, I believe, well, well, I have it on one of my sites. I'm sorry, I don't remember which one. I'll post it with this podcast, perhaps. Ernst Wendel warned that what would happen in Weimar, Germany, would happen in America. The Jews were trying to do in America. I think Ernst is a little behind at times. The Jews have done it in America for the last 50 years. But Ernst Wendel has also warned in this video that the solution will be quite similar to the solution to Weimar Germany. And yes, I believe it will be. It's just a matter of time. At this point, I would encourage people to call in 
I would like to take callers if anybody um, has anything to say and, and just to type something in the chat and Cheryl will turn your line on. This past week I saw a, um, a headline in the Jerusalem Post website gloating about prosecutors reopening cases concerning former German prison or extermination camp guards. It seems to me that the Catholic religion, the, the false religion of Roman Catholicism, needed a Mary app apparition every couple of years to keep it going. Well, the religion of the Holocaust also needs an apparition every so often to keep it going. Without apparitions, people will forget about the Holocaust. The Jews have to constantly flag the flames. They have to constantly stoke the embers. There's a passage in the Bible that tells us to, and I, and I don't recall it offhand, but I could find it, that tells us that the man who forgets evil that was done to him is a blessed man. Of course, the Jews are the people of God's curse, and they prove it time and time again. Because when a Jew moves his lips, he's lying. When you've seen a rabbi, there's already been a crime. Well, I don't know if anybody's going to call into this program. There's about 30 people here. Somebody should have something to say. I don't have much more to say. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to start a presentation on my paper, The Race of Genesis 10. I'll probably do it in two parts. It's something that, should be, um, that, that I should be able to expound on further since I've written it. It's been a long time since I've wrote it. It basically proves that the entire, um, well, well, it sets out to demonstrate a proof is not something that we can see as absolute. We can lay the evidence out to somebody and they accept it or they don't, right? My paper, Race of Genesis 10, sets out to prove that all of the nations that descended from the Adam of the Bible are white, and certainly they were and that they constitute all of the known, the nations known to us from antiquity. Yes, there are archaeological finds which exist, which are outside of these people, but those finds aren't related to the white people descended from Adam. The planet definitely has a long history, and we certainly don't know it all. And we can't know it all. We just don't have the information available. So that's what I'm going to start next Saturday. Okay, and with that, I'm going to end the program. Thank you for listening. This is William Fink, ChristoGenia.org, ChristoGenia Saturdays. This has been a presentation of my paper, The New Weimar Republic, in a brief and, well, history of modern Christendom. Thanks again. Good night.